Welcome to PNR and This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. Listen to Joe and Robert talk about the oldest marketing on the planet, storytelling, and how you can tell a better story to attract and retain customers. Be sure to subscribe to PNR via iTunes and check the contentmarketinginstitute.com site for the show notes. Enjoy! And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hola, content marketers, and welcome to episode two of This Old Marketing. Today is Sunday, November 24th, and as usual, I'm here in Los Angeles with a very nice Rapasso glass of wine, I have to say. Um, and uh, my friend, good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the godfather of content marketing, is in Cleveland. How are you doing, Joe? I'm sorry to hear about your browns today. You know, yeah, we're doing this on Sunday because, you know, we've got Thanksgiving coming up this week. We want to get this out the door. But I have to tell you, Robert, I uh, three hours in 15 degree, you know, with the wind chill weather at Cleveland Browns Stadium, it was not <laughs> it was not pleasurable. Let's put it that way. Uh, and, <laughs> I can imagine. Well, and anybody, I mean, I don't want to go into football here. I mean, you and I could talk about football forever, but it was just a depressing game. Uh, my Cleveland Browns didn't show up today. But the good news is your Cowboys won. So They did indeed. They gave me a heart attack, as they usually do. But uh, actually, I think Tony Romo uh, was a little bit a clutch player today. So it, was, uh, so it was a good day. A good day was had by all. Their wine is tasting a little extra sweet <laughs> today. Well, you know, I do have to say it, it wasn't – And I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was a bad weekend. But we had actually – on Saturday, for those Whovians out there, we had a little Doctor Who party on Saturday. My, you know, my two boys are really into Doctor Who, and, and Saturday was – Doctor Who's 50th anniversary party. And oh, my gosh. It was, uh, and I'm, I've watched some of them just because the kids watch it. And, boy, I didn't realize how big a deal this was. I mean, it was, you know, got oh, it's tons huge. of press and everything. And so we watched it, and uh, I've never seen my kids get so excited. They're, like, yelling at the screen when all the, you know, when all the <laughs> 11 Who. or 12 doctors are showing up in screen. And it was, it was fantastic. It was nice to see the kids so excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I, myself, I was just back from lovely Little Rock, Arkansas, where I got to spend the week there with a client working on content marketing stuff. And what a beautiful little town that is. I had never, I had never been there. You know, everything there is named after Hillary and Bill Clinton. It's the Hillary and Bill Clinton Airport and the Hillary and Bill Clinton Freeway and the Hillary and Bill Clinton McDonald's. And the, everything's, <laughs> everything has Clinton lame named after after. Well, I was in, it's funny, and I was in Richmond at the same time you were in Little Rock, and there's nothing named after the Clintons in Richmond. <laughs> I wonder why. I'm shocked at that. But by the way, you know, Richmond, beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, I started up my speech there. You know, I gave a, a little keynote to the American Marketing Association in Richmond. And I said, you know, you're redeeming yourself, Virginia, because I've had a bad attitude toward Virginia for some time because I have five speeding tickets in my life and four of them are in Virginia. And I don't live in oh Virginia. My God. So that tells you. <laughs> I have right. my, my picture against some wall somewhere. But anyways, that, that's, a, that's a conversation for another time. Well, there we go. Well, why don't we move into the news? I mean, and so the first news of, uh, 
of our show today is, well, I mean, we have to cover it, right? I mean, because it was so big. I mean, it's just become an extraordinarily big thing. Last week was Salesforce's Dreamforce yep. event. It was, as usual, you know, 100,000 of Mark Benioff's closest friends gathering in San Francisco. You know, Huey Lewis and the News played. I mean, it was just, I mean, it's just a, I mean, we think we throw a big show at Content Marketing World. This thing is just, this thing is just a monster. Did it say, they say, I, I heard, I saw 120,000 people, but then somebody told me 135,000, and I just can't even, I mean, that's that's more than South by Southwest at this point, correct? It's, yeah, it's 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 just crazy. I mean, the entire town shuts down for it. I mean, you cannot get a hotel room. It's It's crazy. I mean, the thing that struck me, and, you know, this year, of course, there was a huge push on the marketing cloud, you know, and our good friend Dorsey was there from Exact Target, and he was talking about, you know, all of the wonderful marketing cloud Exact Target thing. Um, and I think they're going to make a big push there. You know, I mean, I'm one of the few that actually thinks that Salesforce acquired Exact Target not for the marketing automation system, but because I think they have designs on getting into the business to consumer space, and I think Exact Target gives them a lot of credibility there. And, you know, and this is going to make, you know, it's going to make Dreamforce even bigger than if that's even possible. Well, I mean, just a side note, do you think that Exact Target will keep going with their connections conference? Do you think that they'll keep that brand separate or what do you what are you feeling? Uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I would suspect they would. I mean, there's no reason they they would they would shut it mm-hmm. down. Um, and it's a great conference. I mean, they know how to put on a on a good customer conference, and and it's very specific to what they yep. do, which is you know now Salesforce is you know I mean is rivaling you know Oracle in its expansiveness in terms of the you know how much stuff they're covering. So it becomes a very focused event. I, it may become one of those things where it becomes the marketing cloud event, you know, and 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 pulls in a lot of different. Things. Well, what was the big? Well, yeah, you know, what was the big takeaway from? I mean, no, you well, read a lot of stuff on it. What'd you hear? You know, the I guess the biggest news is that you know, I mean, Benioff's keynote. I, <laughs> you know, you and I did our little shtick at Content Marketing World this year, which was totally fun, and and so um, you know, Benioff apparently did this shtick with the other uh, co-founder of Salesforce, where he came out. The whole theme of his keynote was, of course, Back to the Future. That's why you had Huey Lewis in the news playing and all of that, and so. They come out and do the shtick, and basically Benioff is is working with him, saying everything is now marketing, um, even your toothbrush, because basically what he's saying is, you know, at some point you're going to plug your toothbrush in, it's going to connect to the internet, and your dentist is going to know about it, and it's this new relationship with customers. And apparently it was a little like, you know, well, just not that funny. A little or- Orwellian, I mean, I maybe. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's right, throw that out. Right. We're going to try but- to get Orwellian into every show. I think that's the key. Exactly, but <laughs> but I I mean I do agree with the idea, right? It's a new relationship between customers and the products that they that they purchase, and this you know persistent connectivity is certainly going to change the relationship. I mean, we're already seeing it change the relationship with the approach of content. I mean, content is really at the center of that. And, you know, it speaks right to what Jay Baer talks about in utility with, you know, creating useful relationships, you know, that go beyond the value of your product or service. But it's interesting to me that Salesforce is now starting to talk about this interconnectivity of things as a means of marketing, right? So which is works right into what their, you know, what their core message is now, which is everything should be in the cloud, everything should be connected, everything should be, um, uh, you know, related to, you know, managing the customer relationship. And for them, you know, I, it's it's a great thing. So I, I guess my my ultimate take on that is I agree with the sentiment. I'm not sure that Salesforce is necessarily the one I want, you know, to use to do that. But 
um, it, certainly the, the, that relationship is going to change between customers and, and, and the way that they manage their, you know, whatever solutions they're buying. Well, here's, here's my question for you because I know, I mean, you're covering you know, just about every major content marketing technology player that's out there. Do, are they missing – is Salesforce.com missing something? And, and is there a play – more than a play here into, you know, all the, the technologies that you're covering? Is there some – do you think they're, they're done in the purchasing area of, of the content marketing space or they've just begun? Well, I, you know, my, my gut reaction to that is, well, they absolutely are missing something, uh, which is web content management. Um, you know, and far be it, for, I, I was surprised to see Oracle be one of the first movers here to, you know, they needed something to bolster Eloqua's, uh, uh, Eloqua's capabilities with web content and to be able to present it across different channels. And Compendium is just exactly that. And why Salesforce hasn't done that, you know, mystifies me. I mean, they have a web, con- they supposedly have a web content management type of solution that they've, you know, that they've been very quietly marketing for the past few years, but it's not very capable at all. So why they haven't bought a cloud-based or installed-based, quite frankly, web content management uh, solution still mystifies me. But there's a number of the enterprise uh, solutions that are out there that, you know, Marketo hasn't bought a web content management solution yet either. And, and that still, you know, is mysterious to me. And somebody is going to buy a web content management uh, vendor here soon. And, and Salesforce may be the one to do it. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I just keep looking at when I see this thing is that, wow, we are still in the beginning of this. It looks like this is, I mean, how long has Salesforce been around? Not very long. And look at they, what did they report? Well, Well, they were just reported in the most recent, I think you sent me this, the most recent quarter, they just hit their first billion dollar quarter, correct? Yeah, billion dollar quarter. Yeah, billion dollar quarter. And they're going to be a $5 billion uh, a year revenue company next year, according to Benioff. Here we go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Well, and what about you? I mean, I, I, you had told me about some uh, marketing post from, um, from, da- from our oh, good friend, David you know, Meerman Scott. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, so I'm, I'm on the road. I'm, I'm getting up early like I usually do when I'm on the road in Richmond. And it's, I don't know what it was, like 4.30 in the morning. And, da- and David, <laughs> uh, David Meerman Scott sends me an email and he says, uh, you know, Joe, you got to hop on this. There's a lot of comments going on. And, and first of all, I'm thinking, I can't believe we're both up at the same time here. Second of all, um, you know, he basically sends me this post, and we'll put it in the show notes. It's called "It's All Marketing," and you know, I sh- shot this over to you. But basically, he's been getting the question just like we have about, okay, hey, inbound marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, brand journalism. You know, what's the difference? Now, David's making the case that it's all marketing. And it's kind of all going that direction. I mean, David and I, we've been having this conversation forever, it seems. And, you know, what happened with the comments then, uh, somebody, you know, actually, I think Brian here, Brian Crouch here got me involved and said, you know, Joe Polizzi has been writing about how inbound and content marketing are different and they're not the same. And, of course, you and I have both written multiple posts on that. <laughs> but I think it's important. I think we should talk about it because you and I probably, I mean, as much speaking as we're both doing, we get this question all the time. And one thing I do want to say before we talk about this is, this is a, is, does, does get a little bit inside baseball. I mean, this is, <laughs> a lot of this stuff is really not all that important to most people. We're just talking about marketing here. There's different approaches. But I guess I wanted to take, you know, what's your thought when you see all these definitions? Is, and is it important? Maybe we should just go through some of the differences in it. But, but is it important that we actually say that inbound is different than content versus different than social media marketing? You know, 
look, it's all marketing, right? I don't disagree with that. When when David says it's all marketing, yeah, totally, you know, and and it's if that there's a reason that inbound marketing, social media marketing, content marketing all have the word marketing in them. I mean, they are all part of a broader marketing strategy that any business is going to go about doing. But I, I'm not sure any of us are saying none of these things. You know, any of these things are not marketing or are more marketing than any other. I guess the 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 so what I my question is is that it, are we really saying that they are separated and and I don't think we are I think the the difference is really what part of the approach does this particular approach take in other words as you and I have talked about inbound marketing is very uh, is very important but only approaches a very particular part of the funnel it's about being found. I mean, per HubSpot's definition, it's about being found. It's about drawing more people into your, you know, honey trap or, you know, top of the funnel or whatever you want to call it. Content marketing really covers the full gamut of everything from lead generation, lead nurturing, customer service, brand upsell, cross-sell, brand evangelism, the whole gamut, and uses content in order to facilitate that consumer change or, 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 or enhancement. And so on and so forth. Social media uses social media channels, et cetera, et cetera. So I look at it and I say, well, you know, you know gap accounting is different than accrual accounting or, or cash-based accounting, but they're both – they're all three accounting. They just have different approaches to the way that the, that process is managed. So I know what he's doing. I know why he's saying that because it's, it's you know, it's basically to take a little bit of the wind out, some of the hype and, and all of that. But they are different skill sets, right? They are different skill sets for the approach that we're taking, and they mean changes to the marketing department. So I do like the distinction. Yeah, I think you have to have the distinction. I mean, another one is, and this is really important, um, is when we talk about brand journalism. I mean, not all. I mean, right. if you're going to, going to take a journalistic approach to your content marketing program, that doesn't mean that all content marketing is brand journalism. I think that's a really important distinction. Just like this is what I think is funny. I mean, look at content marketing and inbound marketing. And I, I mean, I love to talk about this stuff all day. But some content marketing is outbound. Yeah. So absolutely. Just, you know, <laughs> think about that for a little bit. It can't. Yeah, and it, and some of it, by the way, and some of it's not journalism, right? I mean, some of it has nothing to do with journalism. It's about creating a completely fictitious story. You know, I I think of what you know, Coca Cola is. You know, is one of the quintessential examples these days, of course, and. You know, you can look at all of the different videos that they're producing, and some of it is just wonderfully touching and funny and interesting, but none of it's journalism. I mean, it has nothing to do with journalism. It's about eliciting an emotion by telling a really compelling and wonderful story that makes you want to share the brand of Coke. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's a very different thing. Yeah, Chipotle's uh, video that they just came out with, which is fantastic, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. I mean, you could call that content marketing. You may call it clever advertising, but you certainly wouldn't call it brand journalism. I mean... That's exactly so. right. Well, you know, and it's, it's interesting because there was also, a, you know, there was a post this week um, on LinkedIn by one of the LinkedIn uh, influencers, the guy from Med City, who talked about brand journalism and marketing as journalism, and his, you know, his question in his blog post was, where does that end? Um, and, you know, the, the quote that really sort of got me in the end was, you know, he, he finishes his post by saying, in the end, very few brands will be able to supplant the trust of an independent media outlet. They may only be able to rent it for a while. And I just I couldn't disagree more with that sentiment, which is 
really? You think in today's day and age, a media outlet is more trustworthy than a brand? I mean, at its surface, you go, yeah, it is. But then you think of all of the trust issues that media outlets have these days, and I just don't buy that at well, all. Well, you know, first of all, um, Chris Zepper wrote, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. Chris Zepper has been a friend of Content Marketing Institute for a long, long time. You know, you and I were talking about this a little bit. And yeah. I, what was funny about how this whole thing happened is I got an email from the folks at LinkedIn Editorial, and they said, Joe, you should comment on this. And uh, I'm like, well, right, I checked it out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I definitely have to <laughs> – I definitely need to comment on this because <laughs> as much as I love Chris, I, I, I like you. I'm like, are you kidding me? So basically the way that I put it, and everybody can check the comments because I wrote sort of a lengthy comment about it. But I said, you know, so to you, the statement that you picked out, word for word says, but in the end, few will supplant the trust of an independent media outlet. And I basically said, you know, Chris, that ship has sailed. I mean, look at first of all, consumers are making their own decisions as to what trusted content is and is not. And and you said this, Robert. I mean, are you are you kidding me that you know they're all biased in some way? Right. And consumers are smarter. They're going to make their own decisions. They could do they even do they even look at content and say, oh, this is an independent media property? Absolutely they, they, right. They're making their decisions in seconds, right? And I they think are. the other thing. Well, and the other thing is a lot of those journalists. Let's be realistic. A lot of those journalists are writing for both branded content sites and media sites. Um, I think the other thing is, and we need to talk about this, and maybe we'll talk about it later, is look at a property like a BuzzFeed. The majority of their revenue is coming from sponsored content and native advertising. Well, exactly right. I mean, and we talked about Forbes last week, right, with their brand voice and that they're up for sale now, and there's that whole complication. But, you know, the lines between what journalism is versus what is marketing are blurring substantially. And, you know, there's a whole there's a whole other debate around the ethics and around how magazines are going to keep those walls up and where journalism lies and how they're going to take sponsored content in. And I buy all of that. But quite frankly, as a marketing person, I don't have a dog in that fight. So I'm going to take advantage of where I can get trust, engagement and tell my story the best. And if that's me telling it on my own in a sponsored story on another platform or on my own platform, great. Or if it's a journalism telling my story through a public relations effort or whatever it is, I'm going to take it. There, the idea that one is more trusted over the other these days is, is, is a little silly to me. Well, I think the other thing is, and we, I think we talked about this, we've talked about it many times, but even last week a little bit when we were kicking around the idea of Forbes getting sold, brands today, for the most part, have so much more investment resources That's exactly than right. media companies do. So are you kidding me that they're not going to put together? I mean, just look at, I mean, let's look at the big, big examples, right? You mentioned Coca-Cola. Let's look at Kraft. Look at Red Bull. I mean, they have, I mean, they have funny money compared to what media brands have. Yeah, that's They're exactly going right. to go out and get the best writers, the best journalists for, by the way, they're, you know, they've had an all-encompassing marketing approach. They're advertising. They're doing all kinds of things. But in the content marketing approach, they can fund that pretty significantly, probably way, way better than any media brands can. So, right. I mean, that means it's just going to be, be – it's just got to be better. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the end. I mean, but would you say that's not going to be the end of traditional media? No. I don't think that's by in any case, right? No, no. And, in fact, it's a – you know, as I've said to many journalism people, you know, people in the media business, I think it's a very exciting time to be in media. You know, you have you have the trusted brand that you can now leverage to – a lot of different ends. 
you know, it's just the, the, the landscape is changing significantly and the way that you go to market is, is, is just very different. I mean, well, and so this segues nicely into the, the last story we have in news anyway, which is this idea of native advertising, right? And the spending, which is just exploding. I mean, eMarketer came out and revised actually um, their initial estimates on what the spending was going to be up to $1.9 billion dollars. Uh, on sponsored content this year, that's up twenty four percent over last year. I mean, I mean, do you? I mean, this is all part of this, right? I mean, which is this? You know, this idea of native advertising, sponsored content. You know, going back to even the definitions of what we talked about with David Meerman Scott. I mean, this is this is where we are now, right? Where those lines between paid, owned, and earned media are blurring very substantially. Well, and then we're we've been seeing this for a while, and now that we've gotten in heavy into digital, and we've sort of all. I mean. There's a lot of publishers out there that say that they finally found their business media model because of the move to native advertising. Right. But I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I, I don't know where this is going to go, Robert, because I mean, the fact is, is that at the end of the day, the people that are promoting their content on certain channels, let's just take BuzzFeed, for example, because they get most of their revenue through native advertising means. At the end of the day, those people want the readers to be their readers. Yeah. They're, they're, it's a rent-to-own strategy. So they're renting right now because they don't have the audience. But at the end of the day, where, where's BuzzFeed going to go? I mean, it, there has to be more than just that. Or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe there's, we're such in the first inning of this baseball game here that there's so much to go. Maybe it's not a concern at this point. But do you see that as a concern long term? Absolutely. Because... You know, the, the, you know, the, I mean, the idea of there was a wonderful New York Times article, uh, it was earlier this summer, where they talked about this idea of how consumer behavior has changed in the way that people consume media. I mean, just the idea of this, uh, you know, the binging nature of how people consume television, as an example. And what it has led to is sort of the end of appointment TV. And so there really is no brand loyalty anymore. Insofar as I'm looking for the content that I want, when I want it, where I want it, and how I want it. But what that means is, is that as a brand, as a BuzzFeed or as a Forbes or as an AOL or as a Time Warner or you know whatever my brand is, I want to have my biggest asset is that aggregated audience. Now, of course, that puts me in direct competition with some content marketers who are trying to aggregate their own audience. But at the end of the day – the real value of any media brand is going to be in that, you know, in the in their ability to aggregate an audience and provide that audience um, to, you know, to people who will sponsor their ability to get in front of that audience, and that's it. And so, anything that kind of diffuses that over time, to me, commoditizes the platform. You know, so I, I look at what BuzzFeed is doing, and I go, I kind of don't get it in the long run. I see it as a short term play, but I don't, I don't understand in the long term how it really makes sense. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of it. I've got a little bit of history with this, and just look at it. So I used to work at Penton Media, you know, large business-to-business publisher, and we had a, a magazine property called Industry Week there. It had hundreds of, you know, hundreds of thousands of email subscribers there, and they were charging about forty thousand dollars for every sponsored webinar series that they did. So basically, what their advertisers wanted to reach this audience, so they would pay a lot of money to get in front of this audience. The first couple of years, it was you know selling out, Robert. I mean, gangbusters. We're like we couldn't keep, <laughs> couldn't keep enough in stock. You know what they're doing now? It struggled to 
struggle for people to buy webinars. Why is that the case? Because those people that were buying webinars converted those people to either customers or prospects, and they have their email information, and they don't need to go rent it anymore. Exactly. That's, That's exactly what we're right. so I guess you know, and, and we have that struggle at Content Marketing Institute, right? Because we do two webinars a month, they're sponsored, same thing. But if they we're going to come to that point in time where it's not going to be as effective as it used to be because they've got the names. So we've got, <laughs> so we've got to, you know, and that's, that's the challenge for a publisher as well. And I think that needs to be a challenge for the content marketer that's buying space or really getting into the, into the sponsored content game because I don't know if it's helping or hurting in the long run. So <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, well, how about this for a segue? Speaking of content sponsorship and buying space, it's now time for our sponsor announcement. <laughs> <laughs> Of course it yeah, is. Right? So who is it this week? This, oh, you know what? <laughs> Speaking of sponsorship, uh, this week sponsored by our good friends at SlideShare Pro. And you and I have both met with the, the people at SlideShare. We love them dearly. We're so happy they're uh, sponsored this week. Um, and by the way, for those of you that do not use SlideShare, simply put, SlideShare is sort of the YouTube for PowerPoint presentations. Of course, it can do a lot more than that. But we absolutely love SlideShare Pro at Content Marketing Institute because it drives a number of our subscribers. It's our top three subscriber channel. Now, you're probably thinking, hey, SlideShare is free, so how do I, you know, how can I get leads from this channel? Well, you have to pay a little bit of money for it. It's not much. And I think if I, you know, I'm going to send you to a, a bit.ly link. If you go to bit.ly.com slash PNRSS Pro, that's bit.ly.com slash PNRSS Pro. You can get the full description of uh, the different packages that they have available. And I think it's, for Robert, for as little as $16 a month, you can get sort of their lead generation package. And then it's you fantastic. get a more. Yeah, and you get a more robust analytics package as well, so you really know you know, who's engaging in your content, where they're coming from, whatever the case is. But honestly, I love the lead gen package. Oh, it's huge. Uh, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing thing. And I've gotten more engagement on SlideShare. I mean, if you do SlideShare right, if you actually design your presentations um, the, you know, with SlideShare in mind, it can provide it, – it's got huge engagement. Well, and then we know, I mean, I've used this in case studies, the folks at, at Kelly Services and our good friend Todd Wheatland, they do a great yeah. job using yeah, SlideShare because what they'll do, well, they'll plan up front. You plan up front with a piece of content, and then you say, this is how we're going to tell this story on SlideShare instead of just taking, oh, we've got this content over here that somebody did a PowerPoint, we could slap it up. By the way, <laughs> you and I both do that too, and I do it probably more than you do, and I'll just take a presentation like the Richmond one right. and slap it up. But that's a different purpose, and I think that – um, there's a lot of ways you can use SlideShare Pro, and I would just recommend anybody listening to this. If you don't use SlideShare, at least the free version, <laughs> you got to get on there. And if you really like to use it as a subscription or a lead generator, you should check it out. Fantastic. All right, well, that brings us to our rants and raves, the segment of our show where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a rave about something that has uh, either really bugging us or something that we would really just want to uh, throw a little love toward. And so, Joe, I know you have a rant this week, um, and you're going to talk a little bit about uh, a review I think you got on, uh, on your latest book. Tell us a little well, bit about that. <laughs> I need your advice. <laughs> I need, I'm coming to you, oh, master of content marketing, because I actually need some advice. And I want to, uh, it's a little bit of a backstory to this. But, uh, you know, Epic Content Marketing, the book's doing really well. You know, we've got 25 reviews on Amazon.com's page for Epic. I've got 24 five star reviews, and I've got one one star review. And I got, you know, 
when I got that, this is this is a few weeks back, and when I got the one star review, I'd been traveling all over the place, Robert. You know, you, you and I do that on occasion, and uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I was I was feeling a little. Uh, I don't I don't know what the the attitude was at that time, but I, you know, my our PR person Amanda sent me a note. She said you got to check out the review on Amazon.com. So I went and checked it out, and I'll just let me just read you a little bit of this, just so you know. So the title is it's from Steve and Edie Amin. So right off the bat, you're like. <laughs> I'm there like, oh go. my god, yeah. yeah. I'm like, is this a troll or what? So it's a magazine article that the publisher pumped up into a book. Uh, so it says, Joe may be the godfather of content marketing, but the tips in this beefed-up pamphlet are pretty thin gruel. Ooh. Mission statements, I know. Mission statements, voice of customer, focus on content quality, measure results. Sure, buy a book to learn about all this, or save yourself fifteen bucks by attending an after-work social media week mixer and listen to that event speaker. And it goes on and on and on and basically says that this is a business card book for me and whatever. And, you know, and that was that. Wow. Now, <laughs> now before I get your advice on this, Robert. Okay. I, <laughs> I most often, and I, you know, we, I get this stuff all the time where somebody says they don't like a post or whatever. I'm usually very thoughtful. I'm sorry you didn't like it. Um, you know, I, I appreciate your take. I appreciate your feedback. And that's what I usually do, which I think is the right way to go. <laughs> right. Um, and here's my response. And I still can't believe I did this. But here's what I said. So it's everybody, you could see this. You could check it out. I said, uh, I can't believe it. So this is to Steve and Edie Amin here. <laughs> I can't believe it. You figured out our little game. My life's work over 15 years that includes hundreds of successful case studies and detailed step-by-step strategies that work in small and large companies, all to coax you out of $15. You, and then I, then I really got punchy. You left out of your review that the book makes an excellent doorstop. And then I ended it with, may God have mercy on your soul, which really took it over. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's where you crossed the line, I think. That, that might have been where you crossed the line. I don't know. So it, I think you were good until you brought God into the equation. Now, okay. Now, and then there was a back and forth, which you, you never engage with right. people like this, of right? Course. And I did like. You fed the troll. The, you fed the oh, troll. Now, and, and you know what I should have done, and I guess I want your take on this, Robert, because what, what I. There, there were some really nice uh, commenters afterwards that said, hmm, you know, I see multiple five-star reviews and only one-star review to this guy. You know, Steve, I think you're a hater. Somebody else said, Steve, you're a hater. So that I probably should have waited till other people came to the defense or just let it go. Uh, but let, let's, let's go out there because to all the, the social media content marketing folks listening to this, why don't we learn from Joe's mistake here? And what would you what would you have done in well, this uh, in this situation? Look, I don't know that it was a mistake. Um, you know, I don't know that did you, did you see there was a wonderful thing that's going around? Uh, it's a little bit viral right now. I saw it on Reddit um, where Tina Fey actually responded to someone who you know somebody called her a, a pear shaped b word, um, and uh, she responded with this very classically witty thing, not unlike exactly how you responded, which is, you know, sort of in a eye rolling, sarcastic way in a very witty way. Look, you know, you can, you can argue whether it was, whether it was a mistake to feed the troll or not feed the troll. Um, probably was because there was a, you know, there was, there's an engagement there now sort of inherent in that. But I think your response was right on the money. I mean, I think at some point, we not we need to not take ourselves so seriously and just you know and not worry about this. I think the people who are going to like the book are going to see right through that, and the people who would listen to that review, quite frankly, 
you know, it it's kind of like, well, if they're going to listen to that review, they're not going they're going to come away with the same opinion anyway. So um, yeah, I, I think I just gave it too, too much credibility, and yeah. I think my my after because there's some back and forth, and if you want the details, you know, we'll put it in the show notes. You can have fun looking at some of this back and forth. But my my next response was, if you send me your receipt, I'd be happy to refund your money. That's oh, what I that, said, well, that's and there mistake. was no, yeah, there's don't been no say that. Well, you wouldn't even say that. You wouldn't do that. No, hell no, hell no. I would not say that. I, I'd be glad. I'd, I think I would have responded with, "Yeah, and I have your fifteen dollars. Thank you very much." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you, you know, it's, you can say something like, "And you know what? I'm going to take that fifteen dollars and I'm going to buy something completely frivolous with it. <laughs> I'm going to go. But you out, know what? I'm going to go buy like, you know." A bar of soap or something with it. <laughs> but I think it's it's easier for us, I mean, sort of as individuals. I mean, I run, you know, the company at CMI, so, I mean, whatever I do, you know, whatever, I do it, and, you know, the buck stops with me, I guess. Right. But if you work in a, in a company and a brand, you, I mean, you've got to have some social media guidelines, I think, around these things. Oh, definitely. Oh, there's no doubt about that, you know, because where this is completely innocuous, you can run into situations where – you know, it's not. It's not nearly as innocuous. And somebody says something, you know, completely untoward or you know, insensitive or you know, has a you know, there's a real issue there. And and you know, so I think in this case, it's 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 you know, we can we can certainly sit back here and make light of it. But it's but there is absolutely every need to have some governance plan in place to be able to you know to be able to react to these things. So enough talk about my yeah. one star reviews. Let's get to your rant or well, rave my, of the I week. I actually my have a little bit of both. I have a rant and a rave, and and um, you know I I I'll just go on very briefly about it. But basically, you know, as you know, I am not big on the term data driven marketer because I hate the idea that data drives anything. It should be our insight and creativity and all that stuff that drives our story and marketing. But I won't go off on a rant about that. What I will say is. As I've talked with, you know, I visited with a couple of different customers over the last two weeks, and there is data that's, you know, data is extraordinarily valuable. And as marketers, we have a duty to know some numbers at least. You know, we have a duty to know what the numbers mean and derive insight out of that. There are no more, more important numbers to know than the numbers of conversions through your funnel. In other words, how many people am I driving in? How many people am I converting into leads? How many people of those leads turn over into opportunities? How many of those turn into actual customers? And so on and so forth all the way through your funnel. You should know those numbers, those whatever it is, seven, eight, nine, ten numbers, conversion metrics, you should know those backwards, forwards, sideways. You should be able to recite them. And when you don't know those numbers, you have no idea where it hurts. In other words, you have no idea whether you need to generate more leads, more sales, more customer loyalty, more upsell, cross-sell. You don't have any idea. And so, therefore, you can't market. And I walked into two customers recently, and one customer in particular, they knew those numbers so well, they could actually tell you from memory what they all were. Everybody knew them. And they knew exactly where to apply content to improve what they were trying to improve. It was just amazing to watch them work through it. And it freed them up to do a creative, you know, to be more creative, to spend time on working through their story, to spend time on trying to figure out what blog post was really going to stand out, what story, what white paper was really going to make them differentiate. 
And then I walked into another customer where they had no idea. They had no idea how many leads they were generating, how many conversions they were creating, how many opportunities they were creating, how many customers they were actually retaining on a month-to-month basis. And so when you say, well, where should we start with your content marketing strategy? They have no idea. They have no idea if it's brand awareness. They have no idea if it's lead generation. They have no idea if it's customer retention. And until you know those things, you will not be able to be effective. So from a number standpoint, I'm not a huge – I'm not a math guy. I'm not a data-driven marketing machine by any stretch of the imagination. But knowing those numbers is so incredibly important. I just couldn't, I just couldn't stress that more. So it's both a rant and a rave this week. I guess – when let's say that you go into the second one and you did and they're looking for buy-in on content marketing what's the first thing you say I, you know the funny thing is i'll often put up you know you've seen me put up my picture of my funnel you know it's sort of the funnel with one inverted on itself which is you know the classic funnel of leads opportunities customers etc and then there's the inversion which is cross sold up sold retained customers and ultimately evangelist and i'll literally put that slide up and i'll say where does it hurt the most what is really hard right now for you guys to do because if we're starting to build a business case for where content can really make sense we need to understand where it can have the biggest impact the fastest is it you know once you get butts in the seat, you can actually close them with your sales guys, or are you having a real hard time closing those leads because the sales guys don't have enough content to nurture that lead, or do you have a real loyalty problem? Is your churn rate too high? You know where does it hurt the most? And when those customers don't know those numbers, they go, I don't know. It just you know we're we're trying to get more stuff, and that's when you have a really tough time building a business case because then why are we creating content to begin with? What customer behavior are we trying to change or enhance? We don't know. And, uh, and that's when you have to back up and go, all right, we need to really figure out where you are before we can even start to approach a business case for content. And that's why you see a multitude of, of companies just creating lots of stuff, right? That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. We need, we need more, stuff. more stuff. We need more content. More we need more, more blog posts. We need more that's white right. papers. We need more because if you don't have a strategy, more is always the answer. Exactly. So what about our old marketing example? We have this old marketing, you know, this is our, as our show. We're looking at history. What, wait, I know you've got a great example this week. You know, I, but you know I have a, a, a fun time digging through the old examples and going through the Content Marketing Institute archive. So here's a cool one that I found, and I knew I about picture, it. But I always picture like this, you know, the end of, you know, Indiana Jones where we open up the Content Marketing Institute archives and it's that giant thing with all the crates. It's like, you know, da 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 you know, with the crates that go on forever. <laughs> I didn't picture that at all, my friend, but... <laughs> But that's fine if you want to picture yeah. me doing yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. It, it's yeah. It's a it's a little less exciting than all, all right. that. Well, but hey, that's all right. So this is um, I don't even. Did you even know about WLS Radio? Did I did you not know about no, this example. I okay. did not. So WLS Radio. It used to be WES Radio, which was World's Economy Store, and then they actually went through. You know, a couple days later, they actually came out with WLS Radio, World's Largest Store Radio. Uh, created on April 9th, 1924 by Sears. And I love wow. this example. So this is back in the 20s, and they were targeting uh, farmers. Let me give you their little uh, mission statement here, because I'm running through some papers here. I want to make sure I get out the good stuff here. The radios were just getting hot at this time. 
and Sears were trying, they were trying to sell more radios. So WLS was really conceived to sell more radios because they were like, hey, look, we could put ads on the other radio stations, but there's not enough of these things out there. We need more, we need to create programming so we can get more interest in this. And they say here that WLS was conceived in your interest, is operated in your behalf, and is dedicated to your service. It is your station specifically targeting farmers. And they basically say the station's slogan was bringing the world to the farm. And they had uh, they aired speeches from the president, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, they had Will Rogers on. Uh, they won a number of awards. And I just thought it was interesting because, you, you know, we were talking about native advertising before, Robert. When they were, bas- they were creating, fr- they initially created programming on other people's radio stations. And That's then they amazing. said, look, isn't that something? This is, yeah. this is almost 100 years ago. And th- this, th- it's the same thing. And they said, no, we know what we're going to create our own station, just like we see content platforms that Coca-Cola is doing or like Adobe CMO.com, those types of things. They said, look, we're going to create WLS. And it went through a number of different variations, but they held on to it for a while. And then they sold it off because they said, look, we're not in the radio business programming business anymore which i think is weird they got to a point and it was right about the point when mass media started to get popular so remember the you know the 50 years where we just said oh look we're we're just going to interrupt people and advertise (laughs) and that's the way to do it but i think that sears had the model here i think this was it and then they went away from it and uh so i just think you know if you get a chance we'll put it in the show notes it's it was world's largest store radio and some fantastic stuff. We'll put some radio uh, tidbits in there as well. But I just think that's a fantastic example from almost 100 years ago. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And see, I mean, you know, I mean, how great it is that it came from that it came from Sears, one of the you know one of the classic classic brands of all time. Absolutely, good stuff. So Thanksgiving is coming up, my friend. Any plans for this week? You know, what's the well, you're you're going to sit with family? I hope. We're gonna yeah we're gonna do we're gonna have uh, some family time as well like we always do and just be thankful for all that we've been given and it's been just a wonderful uh, year and of course uh, you know you and I have had a great time together over the past many years so thanks for that and uh, looking forward to a little bit of downtime and uh, you know I'm back on it uh, you know back Sunday um, see if we can catch up a little bit and back to the grind and by, and then I've got basically two and three weeks of pretty significant travel until we close it down for uh, the holidays. Absolutely, and, my, and, and the same with me. I'm I'm so very thankful that uh, I've been part of what you and CMI have put together, and I just feel so blessed to be to be here. And I'm looking forward to a few days of downtime myself, and then like you, I'm back on the road starting next Sunday, going and doing some pretty significant travel from then until mid December. And but uh, of course, not missing an episode of this whole marketing, um, and for another episode, episode two here. That's it. Um, For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. Remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, make sure to tag us on Twitter. The hashtag is ThisOldMarketing. Or you can send an email, of course, to ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. Again, this was episode number two, and we hope you look forward to another 50 more of these over the course of the next year. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next time on PNR. PNR.